Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial. Chris, I'm still riding the high off of that Tuesday win. That was just such a big, big win for Nova, especially this team with the way that they've been kind of trending back up again. And also one thing that we definitely learned, the Big East still runs through the main line. Yeah, that's for sure. That was a fun one. That was probably one of the more fun games they've played in a while. And I don't know if it was just the Phil Booth performance, individual performance, or the Pascal individual performance, or maybe it was the fact that Villanova was playing a ranked team as an unranked team for the first time in God knows how long. That it just it just seemed a little bit more exciting than your usual midweek game against this, the Red Storm. Yeah, and especially with the way that the Red Storm have been playing so well going into that game, you knew that this was going to be a very good litmus test for both teams. Both teams needed this. For St. John's, this would have been the big one to, if they were able to topple the national defending national champions, defending conference champions on the road in their own house. That would have been big. But for Nova, it was about proving that we're still the top dogs, still the top cats, showing that this conference, a lot of people thought Nova was gone. There was a moment where it wasn't looking so hot. But no, the cats are still here to play. They're still undefeated in Big East play. We got another one coming up on Sunday. Tough test on the road. Going to the, it's no longer the CenturyLink Center. It's now the CHI Health Center. Before we get to that, we, this is your PSA public service announcement. If you haven't already, make a Twitter account if you don't have one. If you do, you got to follow SONN Pod because right now we're giving away two tickets to the January 18th. Villanova Xavier game at the Wells Fargo Center. It's a Friday night game. We're giving away two tickets. We got a generous, very generous donation. We're looking to randomly give it away to someone who retweets and follows the State of the Nova Nation podcast. If you go on the account, you can find the tweet. It's right there. View Hoops. We're tweeting it almost retweeting it almost every day to get the word out. So retweet the contest tweet. Follow SONN Pod on Twitter, and you can possibly win. Two tickets to the January 18 Villanova Xavier Wells Fargo Center game. That should be a good one. I think we're going to have that tweet pinned, right? It'll be pinned up there. That way everybody can see it and you don't have to go search it through the timeline. Man, you're this is this is great. I see I, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. That's beautiful. I didn't even think about that. I should go pin that right now as we speak. Yeah. Yeah. Go pin it and then everybody can go retweet it. Can't win though if you don't retweet and follow. You need to do both. I saw some people, they were just liking it. 
or they were just retweeting, not following, or they were just following. You need to you need to retweet and follow to get a chance to win those two tickets. So hop on it. We're gonna pick a winner next Tuesday night. So you got some time. Just don't forget, spread the word, tell your friends. So hop on it. Back to business. Chris, we gave our predictions last time on the show. You and Brendan were very optimistic. You knew it was gonna be a dogfight, and it was definitely a dogfight. No, no other way to describe how that game was. Nova was behind for a big chunk of it, but they were able to pull it out. You guys predicted that they were gonna win. I, on the other hand, as someone who had seen St. John's a, a pretty good amount of times this year, following them as a New Yorker, I was very worried. I was very worried. I thought the athleticism would be too much. And there were there were moments where it was, but Villanova bent but never broke. And they stuck in there, fended off the Red Storm, weathered it for a 76-71 win. I, I was wrong. I was wrong. But you know what? I'm happy with the results because that was a very, very big win. Especially at this point in the season. Yeah, hopefully this is kind of the win that this team takes and just kind of hopefully they kind of figure it all out. Now I'm not saying magic now I'm not saying it's magically gonna just everything's just gonna click from now on. But I think if there's one game where you can pinpoint and say this might that would be the turning point in Villanova season for the better, I think it might be this one. I really hope so. Because <laughs> you got a tough test for Creighton coming up and they can go out and lose that. And that would not be good, obviously, but I, I I would think that you know maybe this is you know the one that propels them forward. But you see all, a lot of encouraging signs from this game. You got Pascal and Booth playing hero ball, but it was for the good hero ball. <laughs> it was an absolutely phenomenal performance by both Booth and Pascal, especially Booth at the end hitting three after three, and just you know basically just doing it on his own. He calling ISO and hacking up the shots, and they were falling for him. I got to give props to him. That, that was an exciting performance. Both had great performances. Pascal kept Villanova in it early. He was hitting his threes. He was driving to the basket. He was doing everything well. He actually ended up playing the entire game, which I'm not the biggest fan of. But, you know, he did his job, 25 points, led the team. And then Phil Booth, what, what, what else can be said about his performance the other night? 23 points, 6 of 11 from deep, hitting shot after shot from beyond the arc when it mattered most and to help Villanova pull away and also go on a big run to eventually regain the lead. And you got to look at the bench. Sadiq Bey coming off the bench with a strong 27 minutes, a.k.a. my pick to that for a uh, under-the-radar performer. Seven points, eight boards. Quinterly came off the bench, and I thought he played very explosive. Three is six from the field, and he did miss his two three-pointers, but I felt that was just more to bad luck because the shots looked pretty good coming, coming out of his hand. And they just weren't able to fall. A lot of explosiveness from him. Had two steals. I thought he played a good game in just 11 minutes. And then Jermaine Samuels too. I thought he was playing well. He was flying all over the place in the big basket toward the end of the game there. You needed the performances from those three guys, Bay, Samuels, Quinterly, because the starting lineup was absolutely horrendous. My God. DCR only played five minutes because he just, it just wasn't working out because St. John's got off to a hot start. And it was apparent from the get-go that having him on defense, it just wasn't working against St. John's air raid. And then Cremo was just just a non-factor again. And we I guess we can talk about Gillespie. I know you felt pretty strongly about his performance, for better or for worse. So, yeah, I thought it was uh, pretty good to see the freshmen step up and the seniors do what they're, we expected them to do coming into this year. Yeah, if you want to talk about encouraging signs, Villanova had been in this position a few times, especially at home, in which they were playing behind or they were in a dogfight against Furman. They didn't finish the job against Penn. They definitely did not finish the job. 
Michigan, they were behind way too early in a slow start that was very, very similar to how they got off against St. John's. Just absolutely decimated from the get-go. St. John's just blazing in transition, scoring at will. LJ Figueroa got the team going early. Then you had some pawns in there. You got some Justin Simon cashing in. And all of a sudden, Nova was down big very early. And the way that they were able to recover, settle back in there, fight back, chip away at that deficit so that by the time it was halftime, it was a very manageable game. But for the most part, they were playing from behind, even in the second half. They fought back, finished the fight this time, just absolute lockdown down the stretch, did what they needed to do, got the necessary stops, the necessary plays. Also, with the way that the bench executed, there's a nice stat out there. When Nova gets at least 15 points off the bench, that team is 8-1. and one. Nova got 21 on Tuesday, and it seemed like almost everyone who went in off the bench scored at least once. You look at Eric Pascal, he kept our heads above water in the first half. He did a great job. He was posting up, hit those tough fadeaway Jays or turnaround Jays, hit some mid-rangers, posted up, got a few buckets that way, hit a few shots from beyond the arc. But then in the second half, you had the Phil Booth show. You had Phil the Thrill taking over, scoring 15 of his 23 points in the second half alone, 4 of 7 from three-point range, the kind of shots that just make you think this guy was on a mission. Dribble, 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 not passing. And it was like, oh, man, Phil wants this so bad. How is it going to end? I tweeted out, Phil Booth is leading the league right now in the no, 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 no. And then he shoots it up swishes it home and then it was like wow that was a big boy shot big boy player down the stretch help nova pull away take the lead and without his performance without our seniors i don't think there would have been the same result i know phil booth has been a hot topic of conversation in the terms of what kind of shots he's taking but as we talked about when he's making the shots it's a great time when he's not making those shots like we saw against penn and against Furman. Mm -hmm. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. But as of right now, Phil Booth has been completely trending upwards. He's been playing hot as of late. And that St. John's game was a big exclamation point. Yeah, we, we've been kind of uh, bashing the whole hero ball, ISO, take it by yourself type of play that the seniors have been doing. And it mainly because it just hasn't been working. But when it works, it, it's a thing of beauty. And it certainly worked against St. John's. And also, you got to give it up to, to Phil Booth a bit on the defensive end, too. You know, despite his offensive prowess in the St. John's game, I feel like, at least lately, his defensive game has been uh, pretty damn good. And uh, I thought he did everything in his power to at least slow down Pons to at least just 23 points because I felt like Shimori could have had a lot more going on for him. He kind of ate Colin Gillespie alive when Gillespie did have the opportunity to guard him. But for the most part, I thought Phil Booth did an excellent job defensively. And I think he's been one of the big reasons why defensively this whole this team has kind of turned it around too. It, it starts from the top and he's definitely been the leader on that defensive end. Just the way that this team has been growing has been very, very impressive to me, especially it was back-to-back -back losses and then it was that Big win against UConn and then just dogfights so far throughout Biggie's play. But Nova has been able to come out on top. And I think that's a that's a very, very good sign, especially for teams that are trying to find its identity. I mean, granted, it's still far from perfect product. The whole objective and idea is to play your best basketball around March or heading into March. And this team is trending back towards that great positive trend. 
They're closing out those games. Granted, the Providence game was a little scary, but they were able to hold on for the win. St. John's, they were playing from behind for a good chunk of it. But then once it became back and forth, very, very little room from error. They buckled down and they basically showed that veteran savvy, that championship swagger, especially down the stretch. Phil Booth, it's funny because at the beginning of the year, I said that we haven't even seen the best of Phil Booth yet. If you look at his freshman year offensive ratings, he racked up 128.1, which on Kempom, that, that's actually a very impressive number. Since then, it dropped. The year after that, in the national championship year, it fell to 100.9. He was dealing with a knee injury and mono and whatnot, so clearly it slowed him down. Then the year he came back, when he played for three games and then ended up redshirting that year, it went down to 81.8. It started trending back up to 118.5 last year in 2018, and right now it's sitting at 118.1. It's starting to move back up, and we clearly haven't even seen the best of him just yet. He's having these crazy performances. Things that he could have only dreamed of, it seemed like, you know, earlier in the year or earlier in his career when he was a complimentary option. And he's proving that he can be that hero. I have been hard on his shot selection because usually when, if you look at Phil Booth's career as a whole and just the work that he's done, it seems like most of his shots were smart shots, very efficient. His whole career has just been predicated on being efficient, making the right play, taking the right shots and making them and then playing hard-nosed defense. And now it's like this new Phil Booth, this bad boy Phil Booth, this big boy Phil Booth, who's trying to take all, you know, take over games, do what he can, carry a team. In the beginning of the year, it didn't look like it was working at all. But as of late, I haven't had a problem. If we're going to see this Phil Booth now that can just take over second half and just hit these big boy shots on Shamori Ponds, I'm all for it. Oh, as am I. The shot selection still leaves a little bit to be desired. Just a bit. I mean, both of us, when we were watching the game, we were like, no, no, don't do that. And then he hacked it up, but it went in. So it's fine. Look, if he's going to hit those shots then, and then I'm I'm fine with it. If, if he can recognize that, hey, maybe it's just not my night, and then the fur, all right, cool. Which I feel like, you know, he might he might do. And there's been some games where he has and some games he hasn't. But when it's working and he's cooking from beyond the arc and doing what he's doing, I'm all for it. Especially that game, that game, the, the play where he it was like right at the top of the key or like right at the side of the post and did like a fake pass out to the top of the arc and then kind of faked back in. But it like drew two St. John's defenders one way and he had like a nice little easy layup for the other. Like that was like vintage. Like that was awesome to see. And so more of that. Just keep doing that. <laughs> just keep doing what you're doing. I don't know if you can do this performance night in and night out, but if it happens in the big games against the good teams, I'm, I'm all for it. There's also one thing that I learned, uh, and I know we're still approaching that point, but we need more JQ minutes. I thought he did pretty well when he was out there. You know, he had that nice coast-to-coast play and had the nice finish at the rack when he took it himself. But overall, the, against a team like this that's very athletic, talented from one through five, it felt like, especially in their mm-hmm. starting lineup. We need more JQ. Colin Gillespie, now if you remember back to Tuesday, I said that he was someone that Nova needed a good performance from because he had been bullied by more athletic teams. We'd seen him struggle against Eli Kane. We've seen him struggle when it just looks like that the guy he's up against is just a much more skilled athlete, which isn't bad. I mean, you know, everyone has different tendencies, different playing styles. And for Colin Gillespie, when it comes to having to go up against a very athletic guard, it so far just hasn't been 
a great thing to watch. And he got cooked. He got cooked. He got cooked in transition. When he was on Shamori Pons in the first half, Pons was hitting shots on him, shaking him off, taking it to the rack, or just pulling up on him. He had that egregious foul that gave up three free throws in the second half. Overall, if you look at the box score, seven points, five rebounds, six assists, just two turnovers. That's not that bad. That's not bad. If you didn't watch the game or didn't pay attention to how he was playing on defense, you, you would never know. You would never know. No, I, I completely agree. So just to attack the JQ point for us. Yes, I, I agree. More more minutes for JQ. There was no coincidence that the first time big run Villanova went on was the instant he came in. So I'm, I'm more minutes for JQ, and it, it's fun seeing him go up against the big uh, guards like St. John's has, especially Cons. Second, yes, I agree with you on Gillespie. It, 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 you look at the box score, and you're 100% right. You're like, oh, what what's wrong with that? All right, maybe he didn't shoot the best, but he did other things well. He, he rebounded, and he, he had a lot of assists. Okay, all right, fair point. But like you said, he kept getting bullied on the defensive end, and – the, the foul you're talking about was the, the and one for – and he also had that foul against uh, Pons on the and one. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Like, I thought, like, he was supposed to be the smarter player. I, I It was just a bad game. It's one bad game for him. So I, I'm not, like, completely off the Colin Gillespie bandwagon at all, but it seemed like that he was guarding Pons more times than not when Pons ended up doing something good. Yeah, whether it be by switch or by design, he was just getting bullied in the first half. And – that wasn't cute, although I will say not all of it was his fault. Granted, St. John's went on that big run, and that was probably because they had Gillespie and Joe Cremo starting, and I don't think that lineup is pretty sufficient when it comes to defense, or at least you know the whole argument of, well, you know, Cremo's offense masks defense, and so far we haven't seen that yet. So I know there are a lot of people roasting Joe Cremo, claiming that we need to take away his minutes, blah, blah, blah. Give him to the younger guys because his offense hasn't been great and he's sort of a liability on defense. I'm still in the camp of Joe Cremo hasn't had a chance to shoot the ball and he hasn't been in positions where he can really, you know, flex his strengths because he can't create his own shot. There hasn't been that many plays for him. Most of the plays have been for Phil Booth or Eric Pascal, yada, yada, yada. But if these guys are being put in a situation where they can't play at their best, this is not a good idea. It's just not a good idea to have Gillespie and Cremo out there, especially against a hyper-athletic team with very talented players at one through five. We needed corner lead to at least break the space. He can play with the quicker guards, and it just felt like Cremo was getting hung out to dry. Gillespie was getting hung out to dry, and that just allowed St. John's to go on that big run early in the game. For sure. Both the Cremo shots on Tuesday were the first one I think was pretty contested. It was contested. But then they got the offensive rebound, then they kicked it back out to him, and then he missed again. And that was like a pretty open shot. And, you know, when you're the design sniper of the team, you, you got to hit those shots. And if he's going to keep missing those like semi-open threes, which he has been doing lately, I mean, I, I am in favor of limiting his minutes. I don't think they should completely get rid of his minutes and bench him. But if you're going to do that, if he's going to miss, like, just try Swider. Like, why not? I mean, the minute distribution between him and Swider from the last game was 16 for Cremo, 12 for Swider. So, and they both missed both their three-pointers. <laughs> so, I mean, identical stat lines there. But if I feel that if Cremo isn't going to start hitting his open shots, and he, he might very well could. In the next game against Creighton, he can go off and whatever. I don't know. But if he continues this type of performance, I think he's got to start just switching up, divvying up the minutes a little bit and favor Swider a bit. That's all. I mean, the problem is he only took two shots of the whole game. 
Well, I know, and that that feeds into the thing, Brendan Riley, and you were saying uh, last episode that you know he can't really create his own shot, and they got to create a forum. And as of right now, it, the offense isn't designed for that. At least that's what it seems. And especially when Pascal and Booth are playing hero ball, I don't think they're going to defer to Cremo at the perimeter. Very, very true. Uh, my, you know, I, I just want to get your opinion on the whole DCR only playing five minutes. What was up with that? Because I know we were looking at each other like, yo, where? <laughs> Where's where where's he been? Yeah, where <laughs> yo, where's he been? Oh, I honestly thought he was hurt. I kept refreshing Twitter. I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for the injury update, and it, ne- it never came. I get why they took him out because that whole lineup was god awful in the first few minutes. It was it was ridiculous. It that was like one of the worst starts I've, I've seen. Like this team is notorious for bad starts, and that's one of the bad one of the worst ones that we've seen in a while. I I, I don't know. I I get. I get why he only played five and bent and they benched him. And like they ended up winning, so I can't like second guess it. As, as I don't think the game really turns out much different if he plays more than five minutes. Does, does that make sense? It actually it could have actually ended up worse the way the way the game ended up playing. I, I feel like the St. John's would just would have just kept attacking the corners on the from three and it just would have been a more of a disaster, to be honest. That opening lineup was the not ideal matchup in terms of uh, it exactly played into what St. John's wanted to do. Defensively, Nova was slow, got burned in transition. DCR couldn't keep up with LJ Figueroa, who was knocking down threes. And then on offense, Nova was very clunky. I know there are so many people who are they think that he just wastes space on offense. I don't think that's the case. I really don't because... Just because we had Omari Spellman for one year does not change the fact that before that, there was no stretch big. We were operating with Daniel Ochefu doing exactly what DCR is doing now, sitting on top of the perimeter and just handing the ball off to the point guard. They just It just wasn't the ideal game for what DCR can do. Couldn't really utilize his skill sets. Couldn't really keep up with LJ Figueroa being the stretch big that he is. It just wasn't ideal. It wasn't a game where he could succeed him playing minutes or not playing minutes i don't think he's useless as many people make him to seem or hate or as haters make him seem in the comment section it just wasn't the greatest matchup for him just like with joe cremo this wasn't the greatest matchup for him colin gillespie sure he was serviceable dished out six assists great but defensively this just wasn't the greatest opponent for him no for sure it it just was just a bad matchup that's all i don't think he's useless by any means uh, he, he actually had an open shot. <laughs> His one shot was like that open shot he had, and then he got rejected from behind, which was kind of upsetting. But like, so like he had like a nice move to get there. But yeah, he's not useless at all. Like he will be useful down the road. It's just that this was just a matchup, matchup nightmare from the get go. So I get it. It was a good coaching adjustment by Jay. I got to give him props there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just the way that Jay adjusted in this game, especially after that horrible run that. St. John's was able to get off, and just the way that the team was able to regroup, rebound, stay together, and just pull it off, that this is great because I don't think if this game happened like about a month and a half ago, I'm not sure they pulled this one out. But we talked about how the Finneran Pavilion's curse, you know, Bill Finneran, blah, 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 basically jinxing it. This was a much-needed win to restore all my faith in home court advantage. For sure. And glad it came against a ranked team, too. Yeah, so it's more than likely that we see Nova back in the top 25 next week. 
Uh, well, we got one more game this weekend, Eugene. Oh, no, I know. I know. And we're going to talk about that. But I'm saying if we take care of business, good chance okay, yes. we'll be back in the top 25. Very good chance. And probably probably just flip-flop St. John's and Nova, maybe, possibly. But, yeah, as as you mentioned, we do have a game this weekend, which Ken Palm will tell you, Creighton is a two-point favorite. Now, I don't know about you, but going into the season, I thought Nova was going to clean sweep this regular season series. But right now, Ken Palm has Creighton as a 76-74 favorite. They're coming in, 56% chance to win the game. Now, this is according to Ken Palm, and he's a math whiz. He's got all his formulas. The dude... You can always take his stuff as gospel. Chris, I'm trying to remember correctly because it was so, such a long time ago, but did you have the series splitting or did you have Nova sweeping? I, I honestly can't remember. Yeah, I was trying to think back to that too, and I, I couldn't remember off the top of my head, but I believe it was, I had him splitting. Interesting, interesting. Well, what can we expect from this Creighton team that's coming off a, a real heartbreaking loss? I mean, you know, yeah. when I when I was doing – prep for the show and i saw that they were the favorite i was like okay hold on now i need to like watch and dissect this game and i was like glued to the tv it was a very very compelling game mm. they just came out on the wrong end of it in so many a variety of ways but what can we expect from this team how are they looking right now there's no Kyrie thomas no marcus foster but how are they operating right now as a unit so yeah, you lose those two guys and you think the offense would take a hit and that would actually be incorrect. So according to Kempom, Creighton's sitting at sixth in the nation right now in offense and their effective field goal percentage is actually first in the country right now, which is uh, pretty crazy, especially since they lost Marcus Foster. Now, if you look at their stats as a team, they're shooting 43.6% from beyond the arc and over 45% of their shots are come from beyond the arc. So Definitely expect a lot of threes in this game. As we all know, Villanova loves to shoot up in the streets, but so does Creighton. On the defensive side, yeah, it's not really pretty over there. Uh, 148th in the nation, according to Ken Palm. And if uh, anyone paid attention to that Marquette game, they just let Marcus Howard drop 50-plus on them. So expect Phil Booth to hopefully go off as well. Yeah, so basically, when Kyrie Thomas left, any semblance of defense went along with him to the NBA. The The defensive numbers on this Korean team are just staggering. While they do have the number one offensive effective field goal percentage, defensively, they're in the bottom 80. It's not hot. They allow teams to shoot over 35% from deep, which is 250th in the country. Inside the arc, they let teams blaze their way inside, shooting well over 50%. They don't create turnovers. They don't really block shots. It hurt that Jacob Epperson, the big man from Australia, is hurt. So there goes some rim protection and some depth in the front court. But right now, honestly, I would have not expected that they could easily continue to have such a great offensive performance as a team, especially considering that they graduated the scoring weapon in Foster. Kyrie Thomas could also score on his own right. Just the way that they're able to continuously do it. I don't know how Greg McDermott does it. This is still one of the top offenses in the Big East. They got four different guys scoring in double figures, led by Tyshawn Alexander, who, when he was coming in last year, I thought he could be a game-changing player or probably one of the best guys in that incoming freshman class. And he was a little disappointed in me. Like, yeah, you know, he, he could chip in a few minutes here and there, and he was semi-productive, but he didn't hit the expectation that I had for him. Right now, he's not only doubled his production – well, actually, he's shattered his production. He's 
their top scorer. He's their top weapon, and he's doing it at a pretty efficient rate. He can score from all three levels of the game. He is a dynamic guard. He's just a sophomore, so you know he's only going to grow and be more dangerous from here on out. He's leading the team with 16.7 points per game. He can drive inside. He can take off from deep. He's going to be a hard guy to guard, and so will Mitch Ballack, who is his fellow classmate, who's clocking in just over 10 points a game as well, but he is a sniper. He is knocking down 46.8% of the shot. You also can't discount Marcus Zagorowski, a freshman guard who I didn't even know. This guy was not on my radar going into the year, and he is their top three-point shooter, almost knocking him down at a 50% rate from long range with just over 10 points per game. He has been very impressive. We're going to need to keep an eye out on him because this guy could be easily Ethan Raggy 2.0 or at least the, the reincarnation of because that the way he's shooting the ball right now from deep, it's going to be it's going to be real scary. It's going to be real scary if he can just continue to develop his shot, find a shot. And the fact that he's already able to hit it as a freshman is pretty tough. And of course, you have Martin Crample, who I thought was going to be the main guy coming into this year. And here he is. He's not even the top option. He's still one of their main go-to guys, but he's not the leading scorer. He's still going to be a tough guy. He's their front court man. He can do a lot of things, just not shoot free throws. He's You could hack him, hack Crample. But he's their main front court presence. He's solid. He also has some help from Damian Jefferson, a transfer from New Mexico, who's pretty solid so far, just under 10 points a game, their top rebounder. So this is pretty much your five guys to watch. And also, you know, I'll give you plus one. Davion Mintz, he was a point guard who I thought was horribly underwhelming when he first came. But he had a very, very good game against Marquette. So he's coming in with a hot performance. So who knows how he'll do on Sunday. But this is a team that's hungry. The way they lost, absolutely heartbreaking. They had their chances. They couldn't get it done. This is still a very tough place to play, so maybe that's what Kempom is going with. But you know what? Nova, they're road warriors this year. And I have a pretty good feeling for the Cats going into Omaha this time around. I don't think it'll be like last time where they lost in overtime. They'll take care of business. They'll handle themselves. You know, when you were listening off those players, I kind of felt like Patrick and SpongeBob, when he returns to his home, he says, uh, who are you people? Uh, yeah, that 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 is the Creighton roster right now. And it, it's pretty amazing that, you know, you just rattle off all those guys, and and they're all pretty damn good offensively. It, it's it's nuts. It's nuts. I was not expecting such a great offensive team in, in Creighton. Got to give it to Coach McDermott there. Yeah, all credit to Daddy McDermott, but also Tashawn Alexander. Just the way that he has just stepped up his game from his freshman to sophomore year cannot be understated. This guy is a gamer. He is playing very very well so far. He's absolutely stunned me a little bit. But, you know, with all these weapons, they're going to have another tough task ahead of them when it comes to matching up and defending these guys. Definitely not as athletic. I mean, Tyshawn Alexander, he's definitely quick and he's definitely very skilled. But on the bright side, you know that this Crane team, they're lacking on defense. They're just going to fight fire with fire all day. Oh, for sure. And that was definitely what happened in that Marquette game, that devastating Marquette Marquette game for them. Um, yeah, but with regards to their home court, I mean, it, it's it's very apparent <laughs> they they gave Gonzaga a heck of a game there. It, they only they lost by eleven, so like you look at the final score and it's like, oh, it's not that close. But they they were in that game from start to finish. Expect a tough game. I think I'm gonna flip flop on my pick. I think I believe Villanova is gonna go in there and win. 
I did not realize how bad Creighton would be on defense going into the year, and they, they are pretty, pretty freaking bad. Ride the momentum of the St. John's win and escape Omaha with a dub. I'm hoping that Tuesday's win over St. John's is kind of that officially the turn the corner game. Offensively, Nova, they're going to have an easier time. Defensively, they're really going to have to buckle down. Thankfully, there's not going to be as many athletic players. It's not going to be like the Harlem Globetrotters. They're not going to fly at a crazy pace. But this is going to be a very, very tough crane team in terms of making sure everyone stays with their assignments, not messing up. And, you know, although they have all these weapons, I do feel confident in Nova still. I think they should be able to handle themselves. And I think we're going to be still undefeated. And hopefully now, now I will say, I think they will crack the top 25 next week. If I jinx it, you all know where to find me at Irapay5. Let me know how you feel. Don't forget to follow. Hey. This should be a fun one. I'll be watching. Chris will be watching. This game will be on this Sunday, 12 noon. As soon as you get out of church, get out of mass. You got a race of the TV. Buckle down. This should be a fun game. A lot of fireworks, but I think Nova should hold off. So it's once again Sunday, 12 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. Not Fox Sports 1, not Fox Sports 2. It's the Fox. So we we are big-time TV right now. Yeah, they, uh, the Providence game was on Fox too. So big-time Fox. We're going to be talking about that game next time. But for now, it's question time. We're going to stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and address all of your questions. As always, you can tweet us at pod with your questions and we'll get to them or you can also leave them in the comment section and it'll find its way to us we got a bunch here chris you ready let's do it this first one is from notorious golfer samuels is really coming into form is it necessary for him to play great for nova to be a threat in the big east slash national tournament chris what say you yeah i i'd say so it seems that in the games that he plays pretty well, Nova seems to obviously do better just because he, he does so many little things well, I feel. And I think we vastly underrate his ability to just fly through the air and grab those boards that usually, you know, the rest of some other guys just can't make or try and force a ball loose on a, on a rebound and somebody else ends up with that. He did that a few times against St. John's. Uh, if he can get his shot to fall, and like he had been like earlier, like for that little stretch. And if he can attack the basket, like he has in the past and perform some more critical slam dunks, that is an extra weapon for Villanova to have. And it, it is definitely key. Yeah, no, he is totally important for Nova to be good. Not only would he be able to provide just another weapon on the bench depth purposes, he's athletic. We've seen him rise and throw down these big posterizers. We also know he's a solid rebounder, just has a great natural instinct for crashing the boards. He can play the four. Offensively, obviously, you know, sometimes you, it's good and bad. But when he's cooking and when he's hot it's you and he plays with such swagger and confidence, it's great to see. But when he is going to be important, he adds another weapon off the bench. His rebounding is vastly underrated. He crashes with the best of them. For him to just keep developing that confidence, the more that he can do that and just develop into a better all-around player the better shape this team will be and the better shape that bench will be for sure yeah no that's a good point because if he if he starts to play well then hopefully jay gives him the minutes and then you can start to, to diversify the minutes a little bit more and you won't be a running field booth and eric pascal into the ground we are still pro minutes distribution and we are a team lengthen out the rotation 
This next question is from Chris Lane. Why are you scared to have me on? Excellent question. Chris, when you're back from Vegas, we you should totally hop on. Well, yeah, I, I'm scared to have him on because, you know, there's too, too many Chris's then. We're not going to know who's talking to who then. Oh, we had that problem last time, or at no. least I did. And yeah. then I think we started diversifying it by saying, all right, Chris Lane, you are now just Lane, and Chris, you are Chris, or Chris, you are Stans. Yeah. And I, I think I even mixed it up like halfway through. I just started pe- calling everyone Chris again. Yeah, no, it's a tough job for you. That, that I wouldn't want that. That That's your real fear, I, I would say. When Chris uncovers the, the conspiracy behind Chris Lane's departure slash absence. <laughs> but no, yeah, when he's out of Vegas and he's done counting his money, he should totally come out of retirement to hop on this pod. Now, this next set of questions is from our guy, Jerry Quinn, SNNJQ. His first one is, is there any correlation to more JQ minutes, meaning a win? I think there is totally a correlation. And one, it's good. it's good on many levels. One. That means JQ is playing better. Two, that means he's growing. Three, that means the minutes are being spread out more. And four, when he's doing good things on the court, that usually means Nova overall is playing very well, and that will totally lead to a W. Like Chris mentioned earlier, there is no coincidence that when he went into the game, he helped spark that run to put Nova back in the first half, or at least put them back in reaching distance. The man's talented. Yeah, and he adds an extra dynamic to this team that I, I feel that is lacking like, the ability to push the ball forward and actually handle it with care and with a little bit more care, I would say and a little more creativity and force it opens up some lanes and he can draft it a basket. So I'm a, I'm a, you gotta give him more minutes to JQ. Yeah. And that's no slight at Colin Gillespie whatsoever. It's just, we, you know, this team needs playmakers. This team needs more facilitators. People can handle the ball and he's our guy. So when he's playing well, or if he's getting more minutes, that means he's personally doing well. And most of the time, as when he's doing well, the team overall is doing well. There's probably a positive correlation, honestly, between that and winning. Number two, can we give out some grades to our freshmen and sophomores on performance versus expectations? This is a pretty good question because, well, if you asked me earlier in the season, the expectations for the freshman class were very, very high. And so, therefore, when the expectations are high and happiness is totally derived from your expectations, it'll it'll skew it'll skew the grades a lot. So, Chris, while I kind of collect myself, mm-hmm. kind of want to ask you, you know, what are your what are your grades for some of our freshmen and sophomores? You know, I guess let's do let's do the freshmen first. All right, and so some grades. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, like, I mean, if you want to go on the expectation basis, you, like. Javon Quinterly's got to be like what C, C minus area, maybe C plus, I, I, like somewhere in the C range. But like in in his limited minutes, at least recently, I'd say his play has been in the the B, the Bs. So he's steadily improving. But the thing was, we had such high hopes for him coming in, and it just kind of got squashed. Uh, just I guess due to bad practices, whatever it may be. So. I, when comparing to the expectation, yes, the grade is going to take a hit. Uh, with Sadiq Bay, I go next. I, I, I'd pretty much I'd take B plus, A minus so far. I mean, you know, at least he started off the year pretty well. The past couple of games, he hasn't had exactly the best, uh, but he did kind of redeem himself against St. John's. So, And honestly, I didn't expect much from him coming in. I didn't really think he'd be starting at first. I didn't think he'd be playing as many minutes as he had at first, and to see him – do this as a as a freshman and basically as an afterthought to this class 
is pretty amazing. Uh, next one, I guess, would be Swider. And uh, I, I'd probably say his expectation um, probably on par with how he's playing right now. I mean, I didn't really expect him to like just go off and show off the intergalactic range, um, at least as a freshman. But and we would probably see a little bit of flashes of it. So I, I don't know, probably like C, B minus B so far. I, I think maybe a little less, but he he could definitely improve uh, for sure. And there's still plenty of time to improve. And then that leaves Brandon Slater, and that that I would say that's pretty much incomplete because we just haven't seen him. Yeah, in terms of expectations for JQ, it was like starting right away, at least on par with Jalen Brunson freshman year. And as we saw, you know, when the expectations are high, and I think I personally gave him, I know I was full tilt Javon Cornelly before he came in. And from the way he played, I would say, Chris, your grade of a C is very, very fair. Because early on, we were getting D to F. And then you factor in all the, you know, when you factor in his play on the court and his limited minutes, plus all the off-court drama, D to F. Recently, we're starting to trend upwards. Probably around, you know, C plus B, the Bs. I would say, yeah, the Bs are pretty good. So when you average all that, a B and a D, you get a C. Definitely trending upwards. Still plenty of time left for him to raise that grade. But in terms of his, you know, current performance versus expectations, it has taught me to now dial it up. I mean, dial it back when it comes to the high school recruiting. So that's why I will not comment on next year's class because uh, I'm not going to fall for that trap again. I'm not. I'm not going to do it anymore. This was the first year where I honestly was so excited <laughs> for a class. And finally, when I do generate all this hype, I'm just sad. I'm just left disappointed because it didn't meet my expectations personally. But overall, I mean, you know, with JQ trending upwards, it is a good thing for the team. Um, he is he has played well as of late. It's great to see him get more comfortable on the floor. I'm a very big fan of that. And he has definitely taken very big strides since when he first the first few times he stepped foot on the floor. So uh, that's his that's my grade for Javon Cornerly. Cole Swider, I think my expectation for him was like a B. I mean, obviously, I wasn't going to expect him, like Chris said, to shoot, you know, Steph Curry range threes right away. But I, I have been a little disappointed with this play. Not only is he not really knocking down the shot, but on defense, he's uh, slow. He's been burned, doesn't really have lateral quickness. Granted, I'm not going to, like, kill him for it because he's only just a freshman. But I would say his play for me is probably, like, C minus C. It's not bad or good. It's just very meh. Sadiq Bey, if we're talking expectations going in versus current performance, he is definitely feasting on this right now. Like Chris said, when, when it was announced that he was coming in and that he was no longer going to NC State, I was like, oh, cool, I guess. You know, another weapon for Nova. Don't really know what to expect from this guy. You know, I look at his highlights, and it's like, sure, like, this is cool, another four-star guy. But he was kind of a late tack on. Because of that, you know, I felt like he didn't really have enough time for Nova Nationers to really generate buzz. Then all of a sudden, you know, it came from afterthought in the recruiting class, late tack on to... Man, he's lighting up UNC in the secret scrimmage. He comes in first game of the year, killed it against Morgan State. Now he's in the starting lineup, or I guess as of recently, the last couple of games he hasn't been, but he has he has spent some time in the starting lineup. So in terms of expectation, I didn't really have high expectations for him. I didn't really have low expectations. It was just more of like a, oh, cool, he's there. He'll probably develop into someone cool later down the line. 
but he is just way ahead of schedule. The grade against his expectation has to be for me a, a high B to A, just because didn't really expect much coming out of him. Thought he wasn't going to be an impact player until later on in his career, or you know, at least at least not until his sophomore junior year. But everything is just way ahead of schedule with him. So totally liking that. He's cooled off a little bit since that hot start to the year. But the fact that he's able to play big minutes, have an impact on the floor. Clearly, we needed him against St. John's with all those athletic forwards and guards. And he delivered, stepped up to the plate there, and did what he needed right off the bench. And of course, yeah, as Chris said, Brendan Slater, incomplete, no grade. There's just not enough to to deal with. And it sounds like or it looks like he is redshirting. And so, Chris, let's well, let's move to the sophomore class. What are your thoughts on them? I mean, we got three to talk about here. We got DCR, we got CG, and we got Jermaine. I guess it's kind of tough because I, I don't know like how like I really expected these guys to play. I expected them to do better than last year, obviously, just because they're a year older and you expect them to develop a bit. But I, like, I guess my expectations were a little bit more tempered when compared to the sophomore class than the, the highly touted freshman class. So kind of going off the expectations a little difficult here. But I'd say for DCR, I mean, definitely in the beginning of the year, and especially in that Florida stretch, definitely like an A, A, A minus, the way he was playing initially. It's kind of died down a couple the past couple of games, so I guess you can knock it into the, the high B, mid B range. But I, I think he's been pretty solid, and we, as we talked about before, he's not useless. He's very useful. You just got to utilize him right, and I, I think. If he can just find his game like he did in the, the Florida tournament, I, th- I think he'll be a-okay. Uh, then you go to Gillespie, a uh, little, bit, little bit of back and forth with him. I, I'd probably put him at a B-plus right now. I've actually been pleasantly surprised since like since he first joined Villanova. If you want to go off expectation from when he first hopped on board, it, it's been an A because I did not expect anything from him, to be honest with you. But – He's he's been pretty solid. I mean, we just kind of roasted him in St. John's, but then for every game he has like that, he has another good game. So he's been pretty consistent. I still think he brings a lot of good things to the table. I just think he put he's put into positions that he just it just isn't up to task yet. Maybe it'll come his junior or senior year, but I think it's just I think they're expecting a little bit too much out of him still. But I think he's doing an admirable job so far with uh, compared to what we really expected out of him. And then Jermaine, yeah, I, I kind of ex- – I don't really know what I expected from him this year. I expected a little bit of improvement, and I kind of ch- chalked up last year to just injuries and just bad luck. So I expected him to improve, but then we saw he got off to a horrible start and now has kind of been turning it on late. So I, I'd probably say B minus B for Samuels. So everybody kind of in the B range there. Just like I did with the freshman class, I'm going to base my grades on my expectations way before even the season started. And so in terms of expectation, with Jermaine Samuels, like Chris said, I didn't really expect a crazy amount. You know, I wasn't sure if he was just going to turn the corner, like snap, crackle, and pop, just like that. But in terms of expectation with him, it wasn't super high i know that overall for the sophomore class going into the season jay wright called out this group as pivotal very important to how this team will do this year and as you can see that you know dcr is in the starting five colin gillespie is a starter jermaine samuels is one of the main guys off the bench i didn't have that like i didn't envision that going in and you know we we play around with the starting lineups at least going into the year like what that might look like but with jermaine samuels 
I definitely expected improvement, but in terms of how he's played, I'll give him like a C plus, B minus, B. You know, there were those flashes where he was starting to gain swagger offensively. He didn't look like a deer in the headlights. Way more comfortable on the floor. He's excellent at crashing the boards. Solid defender. I mean, he's had the posterizers, which, I mean, if we're talking expectation, I didn't know he had that in this arsenal. So I'll give them, you know, actually, you know, I say C plus, I'll give them like a B minus B. Colin Gillespie, I expected six man, not starting, but it looks like he's one of the key guys on this team. I, like you said, Chris, I think they do expect a little too much out of him. But in terms of my personal expectations, I expected just a contributor off the bench. But he has he has impressed me. He he had some very, very big games, especially in some of Nova's darkest moments, like that pen game he played very well. The St. John's game just was a total mismatch for him. But overall, I you know, I, I have liked what I've seen from CG. A lot of people call him Arch 2.0, this and that. But overall, honestly, like the way that he's able to facilitate, he's he's tough. He's tough. He's a much better scoring this year. I give him a B just because, you know, I didn't expect him to be a key member. And he's doing a pretty solid job so far. He hit a few road bumps along the way, especially recently. But I haven't been overly furious or upset with him by any means. And then that leaves DCR, who I liked as a freshman. When he played, at least in the first half of the season, I had a feeling he would be thrust into the starting five just because of personnel and, and positioning. I give him a B, I you know, anywhere in the B range, honestly. Just because, you know, I have been defending him. You can see it in his offense rating. They don't hit him on the pick and roll. He's not useless. He, you know, he sets screens. He, gets, he sets picks, gets boards. We had that big boy I shouldn't say a big boy game. He had big boy games down in Florida in that Thanksgiving tournament. And honestly, I don't know why people hate on him. I guess it's just because it's not Omar Spellman and he doesn't have a three-point shot, but neither did Chef and neither did Muftal Yaru. Neither did a bunch of those guys before them. So it's not like, you know, <laughs> we were spoiled. We literally had one year of Omar Spellman and all of a sudden people just kind of forgot that, like, we had your traditional sort of big men or the traditional big men in the sense that, you know, the range only extends as far as the mid range, not like they're going to be knocking down threes anytime soon. So I'm still on board with DCR. I'm on board with the sophomore class. Overall, I have been very pleased with how they've been playing as a unit this season. So overall, my, my, my viewpoint of them, my perception of them is positive. Probably spent a lot of time on breaking them down, but I hope that answers your question, but he's got one last one. And that is, do you think we play better D in zone or man defense? See, this is also a good question. I, I, I don't know what the numbers exactly say on the defensive side. I don't know if there is a way to measure defensive rating in zone and man. I'm sure that's up to Brendan. If he can somehow find that out, it would be great. But I feel, just like from the eye test, I feel like they do play a little bit better in zone, but that's because they only utilize it in small amounts, and I feel like it kind of it's a good way to mix it up. I mean, I, th I think their defense is been slowly been getting better but i i feel that the way they mix it up with the zone is a nice and it's a good change of pace but i wouldn't stick in the, just because they're playing better in zone i'd say like very ever so slightly i don't think they should keep going back to zone is like for an extended period of time it's funny just because uh i i trend towards saying man just because that's their base that's their usual go-to and in the past you know, it felt like whenever Nova went to zone, that just felt so natural to them. 
But then this year you look at man, and sometimes you lose guys on switches. They don't switch correctly. And then it's like, oh, what are you doing? Why is that guy wide open? Why are three guys wide open? Why are two guys wide open on the perimeter knocking down threes? I think I will still kind of lean towards man just because that is their normal default defense. They don't really do zone too much. I mean, they can't crack it out. But I think there's definitely a reason why they don't go to it too much. But also, like you said, Chris, you know, you can't do zone for 40 minutes unless you're Syracuse. So uh, it's very understandable as to why we see it in limited spurts, because eventually teams do figure out how to crack the zone or they eventually do break the zone. So you got to readjust or switch it to something else, show them a different look. But uh, overall, man to man, I'm going to lean towards that. I wish we had numbers. I wish we had stats. So I'm going to leave that to Will Schriefer or Brendan Riley. Those are our true stat gurus on VU Hoops. Hopefully one of them can come come back with us with some defensive numbers. But uh, th- that's my answer for that question. I'm still team man, even though the switches sometimes murder me. The last question is from the comment section. It's from Tommy V. He says, great. Welcome back. Uh, how about updating the badly outdated recruiting links? Tommy, uh- I'll be honest with you. I, there hasn't really been much news on that front. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, you know, Chris Land is is really, you know, even though he's retired, he's still very, very much involved with the recruiting scene. He he sees things before they happen. Let's just say, and uh, you know, I hear I'm pretty active on the recruiting scene too in terms of rumors and stuff. But it's just that you know, it's the high school basketball season. It's that time of the year where most kids just aren't even thinking of the college process. The college process just kind of takes a, a hit, basically hits the pause button until after the season. So that's why, you know, things don't really heat up. They heat up in the summertime during the live periods or before the season. And then you're going to see them heat up again in the springtime. But for right now, it's just, you know, the high school kids are playing out their seasons. And there's just, and coaches, you know, college coaches, they're not really hot on the recruiting trail. Granted, you know, there's still some movement of sort, like you see things happening, but it's, it's just not going to be as hot as until after the season's over. Don't worry. We'll update them when, when the news comes around or when we hear anything, but right now it's just, you know, there's no pressing need for it yet. Unless of course, you know, Mike J wants to override me right now, then might as well go ahead. But uh, yeah, I hope that answers your question, Tommy. We're not, we're, we haven't forgotten about it. We're still still got one year open but uh right now it's just a slow slower start or it's just like the slower part of the recruiting cycle but that's all the time we have for today thank you so much for listening to the state of the nova nation once again i'm gonna pin the tweet so please retweet and follow on at s-o-n-n pod on twitter for a chance to win two tickets to villanova xavier on january 18th at the wells fargo center it's a friday night game we would love to give these tickets away because I can't make it. Chris can't make it. And I don't think anyone else on the staff could too. So, you know, don't don't let us have these tickets just sit there. We're, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to give these away. We want to give it to one lucky winner. We're going to pick one next Tuesday. So you got a lot of time to tell your friends, spread the word, and for you to play and hop on it as well. And also, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. You can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Podomatic. You have many, many options. Check back at viewhoops.com each and every day. We are just pumping out content. We got the good stuff. We're going to have a Creighton preview. We're going to have the Creighton recap. We got a lot of other things in between going on. So please check back, check often. Follow View Hoops on social media at View Hoops. And that's good for Twitter and Instagram. 
And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at The Stance Man on Twitter. Nova Nation, have a good Thursday. Have a good weekend. We'll be back at it on Tuesday. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.